just got your asses whipped by a bunch of goddamn nerds. Hey, sports fans, welcome to Sports Nerds. Here are your hosts, Dr. Samuel J. and Dr. Brian Schrader. Nice. That's good. Your body's getting cleared out. Your body's getting cleared out. Not drinking all these all these days. Is that us? There we are. Hey, Sports Nerds is live. Cool. Are you gonna watch the Masters today? Dude, I watched a lot of it yesterday. Do you have the app? Uh, I didn't have the app. I was just watching in my office when it was in there. On the app, though? Because the, the, no, TV, the, the TV coverage is shit. Okay, fine. Same thing. So you were watching like featured, featured group coverage or whatever? They show surprisingly little of that crap on TV. The feature group type stuff? No, no, no. Like the actual normal broadcast on TV yesterday was like two hours. It's like three to five or three to six, maybe three hours. Long after a bunch of cool shit had happened. I'll say this too, man. It started getting windy, and I thought the scores would go down. And then some of those dudes came out and put up some scores. Yeah, I know. I saw what? Who's uh, Bryson DeChambeau's leading at six under? Brooks Kepka also has six under. I like to see Tiger competing. He could have easily been five under yesterday. Jeez, oh, man, he was putting like shit. Yeah, he was putting like you and I putt. I went out and played on Monday. Did you? Me by myself. Had a boy by myself. Yeah. Uh, my my, what I consider my home course. I went out there and there was nobody there. I had it to myself. Eighteen holes in like a shade under two hours. Uh, what was the weather? And I was hitting, I was hitting multiple balls too. Um, it was like it was a little drizzly when I like the first couple holes, but um, it was pretty nice. Like sixty, a little windy, kind of cloudy. It was great. It was like I was playing the the Open Championship, except for at not that nice of a golf course. <laughs> <laughs> you felt as if you were there the weather seemed like i was playing yeah it's not it was not link style or anything it's it's also not fair because the leaves aren't really out on trees here yet i don't know in colorado if your leaves are coming in or whatever not quite i mean i've been technically been in a dungeon for a week oh okay so you have no idea the status of this. this well i guess what i'll say what i was going to say was this course is significantly easier when there's no leaves on the trees, a lot of these holes are like big, tall, old kind of growth trees that crowd fairways, but late in the fall and early in the spring, there's no leaves on them. So everything is a lot wider open. Yeah, there's a lot it's a more, little, little easier lot more sky yeah. to hit. <laughs> it's good if you're a terrible golfer like me. Speaking of the masters, uh, let's quickly break down because this will air today, our leaderboard. Uh, it looks like, hold on, I got to pull this up. So the second annual sports nerds, I don't even. Masters I don't even need to pull it up. I know. Yeah, Somebody's beating um, me, and I'm in second. Yeah, Abigail Rudd's leading. She she won the Masters last year, I think. Our pool last year. Uh, oh, you she just won the Masters. I was like, that's pretty she sweet. Did not, she did not win the Masters. Uh, Brian Schrader second, tied there with Dan Lair in second. Um, the great Dan Zuniga. No, who I think is Mary, what, what what are you looking at? I'm looking at the lead. I'm at eight under in second place. You're tied with Dan. He's also eight under. In he's second seven, place, he's seven under on one according to mine. Has somebody teed off today? Oh, I think it maybe it started already. Oh, I apologize. Oh, it's nine o'clock. 
It is nine o'clock. Yeah, Dan, I'm at second. And there's Jesus, Dan o. Abe, Brown Tiger number two, and Dan Lair seven under. There's two Dan's. Dan Zuniga, Dan Zuniga, who's watching us on Facebook right now, is in third. I guess fourth technically, but uh, who else? Uh, Yeezus saves Michael Lafont. It's always the same crew towards the top. People, if you know golf, you just kind of. It seriously is like you get, like some people just guess, and some people actually just you know take some time and select. I filled out, I filled out my first one, and it was my serious one, and then I was like, I'm gonna go back and fill out my for fun one, and I just forgot to do it. Uh, so I'm I'm hosed. I only have my my one entry. I was gonna say though, Marcus Peroski was in dead last with you know a couple couple people yet to tee off yesterday, and he's moved up to 28th, and that's our defending. March Madness champion, so watch I out. I was going to say, speaking of the great Marcus Peroski, he uh, he did win our tournament challenge this year. I have to give him money, by the way. I think well, he's probably it, waiting. Everyone else gives you money, right? Well, we're pretty good on, on money. i got to sit down. I, I feel like it's going to take me two hours to figure out who's paid me and who hasn't. Uh, yeah, go through like old emails and stuff like that. But uh, Peroski won. Jeff Furwa came in second. And then Brad Wagner came in third. So... It went down to the final. It wasn't over. It wasn't if over. Texas no, Tech had won that final. Ken would have won. Ken, this, Ken Hare, the uh, CEO at Tivoli, would have won. Uh, let's actually, this is a perfect pivot for our first story. Um, I was cheering for Texas Tech. Well, I was. I was. I mean, I, I just was. Uh, interestingly, my old boss, the University of Denver, Eric Bacher, is the sports information director at Virginia. So he and uh, uh, Tony Bennett have been buddies since college they both went to stevens point together and bacher left du he was this inside information man dropping knowledge if you go and you watch uh, the game bacher is the the bald dude that's next to the bench uh with a good i think he had a goatee this week i can't remember and uh yeah so congrats to bach and to, and to tony um both very very good people but i was still cheering for texas tech what are you what were you doing who are you who are you it's it's a really cool story that Virginia goes from losing in the first round to who they lose to UMBC last year yes, in the first round. They almost lost to UMBC yes. this year. To, never, to, yeah, to, to to winning the tournament. But how many games did they come back in? I mean, there's eight games. You have, what do you have to win? Six games to win the tournament? And they came back in like four or five of those games? Yeah, they did. They came from behind. Um, I mean, made some last at shots. some point, you think you think your your luck would run out. It's, it's bizarre. I mean, I like the tournament for that. I like... I think the fun thing about March Madness is you get upsets. You get, you know, if, if, if these games, I've said this before on the podcast, if all these games were series to, you know, three best, best of three or best of five series, it would first of all take a year, but um, the, the better team would win all the time, right? When it's a one game series, you have kind of an opportunity for upsets, but it's, it's usually like, you know, uh, teams that are stealing victory at the end are the, or, or, or excuse me, are up, but then losing at the end are, are usually the, the underdogs it's it's weird to see a, a one seed doing that you know does that does that make sense no it does it does usually but but i guess i mean i don't know whether or not this is true but they say that having that kind of adversity actually benefits you in the long run because i guess you try to take over games sooner i'm not sure actually that didn't work for for virginia but i know when duke slipped past um was it central florida people were talking about how oh they really needed this scare and then um, Michigan State took him down, but I don't know, man. Yeah, let's talk about. The- I think I think if I also one, let me say one more thing. I think if Tariq Owens was healthy for that entire game, Texas Tech probably wins that game because that was the dude who like destroyed his ankle in the semifinal, 
and then they played him anyways. And I, I don't know how much of that game you watched, but the entire first half, it was like, this dude clearly is hurt. I know you want him in there, but you just need to bench this dude and figure out how to win a different way. Because, I mean, he just looked. And that guy plays so physical, too. He's crazy. He's always jumping around. And there's, I mean, there's a, a highlight reel of this guy bumping his head and falling down. And he's he's, he's a really tall guy anyways. I, I don't know. I suspect if that guy was healthy. I, I feel bad for for Texas Tech being, being up at the end of that game and losing. But it is what it is. You and I have talked about this uh, in regards to to Michigan uh, basketball, but you know, at this level, when you're dealing so so often with just freshmen and sophomores, uh, you know, because of how you know the NBA and the NCAA work now, good defense is what can get you to the, you know to the end. And I think Texas Tech showed that. Michigan has shown that in the past is just having good defense, but it's not the most exciting basketball to watch. Oftentimes, obviously, it was exciting for different reasons this this tournament, but. Um, I don't know. It's it, I wish Iowa would uh, employ that perspective because it's really annoying. You can't necessarily shoot people out of the gym when you get cold one night, but if your defense is good, you're going to be no, fine. It's true. I, and and here's the first bad thing I'll say about about Michigan on the podcast. I think I think the the reputation of of defensive oriented teams, defensive minded minded teams being boring to watch is is well founded. And Michigan's a pretty good example of that. Like it's you know just kind of. Uh, hard nose in your face kind of defense. That's not Texas tech, man. They're flying around. You know what I mean? Like these guys are, they're, they're, they're charging every jump shot. They're flying past guys. They're, they're really recovering for each other. I think it's a really exciting defensive team to watch. Now, now Texas tech versus Michigan, that game that was, you know, seven to nine with three minutes left in the first half. That was pretty boring. And that's what happens when I guess when you get two of the top three defenses in the country um, playing against each other. But I, I, after, t- I, I, I'll be honest, I said out loud to people, Michigan is going to have no problem with Texas Tech. You know, I figured they're, they're two really good defenses and, and Michigan it, it has a slightly better offense. They're going to win that game. And I was totally wrong. And then after that, I was like, Jesus, good luck to everyone else who has to play this team because you watch it and it's like every single shot is contested. They clog the lane really well. I mean, it's a, it's a good basketball and really fun basketball team to watch, I think. Not a boring defensive team. No, it was great. Uh, let's let's uh, talk about the elephant in the room in regards to this tournament, um, which would be the referees. It was not something that – I mean, I don't want to talk about this like hot sports opinion wise. You know, we can go a little bit deeper, but uh, a lot of people were, combi- were complaining about the refs throughout the tournament. And, and for the first time in, in, I guess, I don't know, might – critical awareness of the SWA tournament, I have to agree. The refereeing at the college level is just so much worse than the NBA. Do you, are you, do you see that? Do you agree with that? Like, do you notice it when you're watching a game? Cause I notice it just how bad it is. Even like regular season, big 10 games, they're just not good. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure that they're missing and maybe there's data on this. I'm not sure if you go back after the fact and, and do just a straight what percentage of the calls are they getting right versus what percentage are they getting wrong, that sort of thing, that they are that much worse in college than they are in, in the NBA. But I do think that there's sort of a, a consistency at different ends of the court thing. You know what I mean? Where I think the NBA is better where a foul on on you know the, the east end is a foul on the west end. In, in college, sometimes you're like, wait, how is that a no call? And then two seconds later, it's a, it's a call on the other end. So, so I, I do think that there's some consistency stuff. I'll say this about basketball in general. Um, I, I think, I think being uh, an official in any sport is probably really, really hard. 
you know, if you're doing it right, no one notices you. And if you're, if you're any attention is being paid to you at all, then it, it's unwanted and negative and it, it probably sucks to be that person. But in basketball, particularly these bang, bang plays when someone's driving uh, to the basket, I don't know how anyone is supposed to be able to tell if, if there's contact, if the contact is on the ball, if the contact is on the hand, if, you know, most of these calls are so bang, bang. I'm, I'm not sure how we can expect, expect them to, to make them with honestly, with any degree of, of accuracy. And I suspect it's just sort of instinct and position and kind of muscle memory when they blow the whistle and, and when they don't. So I, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm torn on this one. And, 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 and let me make one other argument really quickly, I guess, which is the drive for perfection in officiating, I think takes us to really, really weird places that sometimes like, be careful what you wish for. You know what I mean? How many, uh, this would be interesting to, to, if we could find this out, how many video reviews did we have to sit through during this entire tournament? Um, I think it was uh, Jalen Rose who said this on, on Twitter. And if I'm, I'm mis, misattributing this quote, I apologize. But someone, someone made this point on Twitter. Like if, if, a dude has a ball and a guy from the other team swats it and it goes out of bounds. It's out on the guy who swatted the ball. I don't, I don't want to go back and see the video and see, Oh, well the guy swatted the ball, but it, it actually grazed off the, the first guy's fingertips as it was going out. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Some of this, we get into real ridiculous microscopic analysis that is not in the spirit of who hit the ball out of bounds. You know what I mean? And so that's this drive for, we need we need perfect officiating that that sort of blows. Now the flip side of this is the 2015 Duke game uh, was at the national championship game four or five years ago, where there was an obvious out of bounds call missed and they couldn't go to the tape to watch it. And so it's kind of a pick your poison. What do you want? Do you want every single thing put under a crazy microscope? This is a, a, a quick side example. Did you watch the Frozen Four was last night? DU lost to um, UMass Amherst. I watched the first period. There that was were a- three five minute game misconduct penalties and three ejections because they went to the tape and looked at hits to the head. And by the middle of the second period, I was like, it's, it's midnight. I got to go to bed and I don't want to watch how many times are you going to go to the damn review? I I don't want to watch this. I think, okay. So I guess my concern uh, or my issue is not necessarily with the referees themselves. It's with how the NCAA is trying to improve its officiating. And it seems to be so wrong headed when you compare it to uh, the NFL or the NBA, right? They're kind of big competitors. And I think it does matter that they're not taking the right approach because when you consider the money and the energy and the time that goes into March Madness, like that's a major sports enterprise. People's livelihoods are obviously on the line it, at, at all levels. And I don't mean, I'm not trying to be, you know, uh, hyperbolic, but like things matter, uh, especially in the, in the world of sports as much as they do maybe during the Super Bowl or, you know, during the NBA finals. But so, so the reason why I wanted to kind of talk about this is because Michael Lewis has a new podcast out. Have you, have you caught that? Uh, I saw him on um, CNN or MSNBC talking about it. It looked really interesting. Is it good? Yeah. You know, it, the first episode was really good. So it's called Against the Rules. And the first episode was was really kind of about uh, the, a, a large portion of it was about the steps that the NBA has taken to improve its officiating. And so, you know, they put their their, their referees under the microscope, obviously, in the same way that maybe the NCAA does uh, with, with the kind of replays that you're talking about. But they also create a system in which these referees are allowed to better themselves. They also pay them more money, which gives them more freedom to go to classes, to do the training, to do all of this stuff. But there's 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 more of a transparency in how 
they're being critiqued than I think we get with the NCAA. A lot of times, like the NCAA will just come out and and you know say that so and so these these Pac-12 referees did a really bad job without necessarily ever offering them the tools they need to improve. And so I know what you're saying, right? There's a lot of ticky-tack stuff that happens on happens in basketball, but the, NCAA, the the NBA has kind of shown that it is possible to have a consistency in how referees work together alone, all of this stuff. And so to me, the NCAA needs to kind of take the responsibility for improving uh, refereeing, not just at at the bas- in basketball, but I think we see the same thing about, about football. Um, there are certain conferences that do a really good job. You don't see a lot of Big Ten officials uh, – taking a bunch of shit and how much of that has to do with the fact that the big 10 is able to pay that their college officials more uh, for what they're doing. And so that's my point, right? The NCAA to me, the onus is on them to improve the training system, just the system writ large in which these referees uh, can improve upon their craft, whether that's paying for seminars, whether it's improving the technology they use to evaluate themselves. And right now we're just not seeing that. And it does matter, especially when we talk about March madness or the national title game, when so much money is involved, there just needs to be a better product because we shouldn't be having these conversations. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. I, I heard um, when Michael Lewis was on TV, I heard him talking about this stuff and and he made some good points that referees now, it, because I mean, it, wh- whether or not it's it's what the NBA wants, it, it's, it's sort of um, just born of necessity that they have to be better because people aren't watching on, you know, 23 inch black and white TVs anymore. They're watching at home on 70 inch 4k high def TVs. And when you're in the, you're in the arena, you're watching, you know, on a, on a monstrous HD screen and slow motion. And so if you get it wrong, everybody's going to know. And it's, it's, it's a lot less ambiguous than, than maybe it used to be. And so that drives, I guess, the, the, the desire to get, to get the calls right. Um, and, and maybe, maybe it's just, go ahead. Yeah. No, that was a big part of, 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 him setting the you know the, the setting the setting up the story of of these kind of uh, officiating improvements is because tech you know it's it's really driven by technology more so it is than it is our human need for perfection like technology allows us as viewers to see a play from every angle and you know you don't want your referees to be persecuted because this is now obvious, right? There's, there has to be room for error. You can't see everything from every angle. If you're a, if you're a referee on the court or on the field. And for this reason, you know, the, uh, these institutions uh, have, have some been successful at improving it and, and, you know, giving referees the, uh, the structure they need and some, some haven't, I think that's what he's really talking about. Yeah. No, I mean, that all makes sense. I, I think, that, I think there's a sense too, that, in basketball in particular yeah this is this is true in a lot of sports that the, the athletes are just bigger and stronger and faster and so the the kind of the the game as it was originally conceived or the games as they were originally conceived didn't really anticipate again that that level of speed and athleticism and technology and all and all those sorts of things um and and one one response and i think it's the one that we're getting is trying to um take the the rules and and the perspective of officials the way they were originally intended and uh get, apply them as much as possible to those changes in in the style of play um i think another way you can do it and and it might make officiating easier and this this goes back to my point that in some situations i just don't understand how you're supposed to make how you're supposed to make the right call you know if if it's two big guys moving really quickly and and it's just a a, a really quick you know contact to the arm or something 
it seems it seems like those I, watching on TV. I have no idea how they make those calls as quickly as they do, and the whistles almost always seem to be instantaneous. Um, I think what 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 a move that could make the game easier to watch and less dependent upon the foul calls is you could kind of have a culture where referees are um, enforcing rules more more heavily or are having a lower threshold for flat for fouls if that makes sense right do, do something that sort of disciplines players to to have less contact in the game that forces you to make fewer calls does that make sense or you could you could just straight up lower the um the number of fouls that players are allowed to have like i guess what i'm suggesting is maybe the game is because it's much more physical than it used to be basketball i mean because it's much more physical than it used to be it's harder for for refs to make to make calls the the, the culture sure yeah that the culture of officiating means that you get away with stuff that a long time ago would have been fouls and that if you start to more aggressively police fouling um that you you could you could sort of push back against that and have you know create a little bit of space uh, have have less contact and therefore less demand for making calls. This is not an argument I thought about before. I'm making it off the top of my head, and I'm not sure I even agree with myself. But I think there's I think there's something there to this idea of if if the game is so physical, it, it becomes more difficult to adjudicate adjudicate what contact is um, a foul and what and what contact is just sort of contact. You really so I guess I don't see the game as getting that much more physical. Maybe at maybe in certain conferences at certain levels of Division One basketball, but I don't know, man. It seems like the NCAA is also about shooting people out of the gym as much as it is in the NBA. I don't know. I guess I should have paid more attention to the physicality of things. I just don't see it. I just don't see it. But, well, I mean, Texas Tech is a really good example. They play a very physical brand of defense. But are they the norm? Um. No, but I think they're I think they're emblematic of of a of a more physical game. Okay. All right, all these and this is the NBA, not college players, but I'm sure college players are going to. The NBA players are are this close to wearing football pads, man. They all wear these like rib padded undershirts and stuff like that. And I mean, they're like they're they're trying to protect themselves because there's there's contact. I mean, I think I think the game is, I think I think the game at at all levels is much more physical than it was 20 years ago, 30 years well, it ago. Seems obvious, right? I mean, the, the the athlete is just more it's more of a physical specimen anymore. Not because that's a natural inclination, but just because of training, right? I mean, it's not that you know how much space they take up on the court. This is never, ever, ever going to happen, man. But you make the court a little bit bigger, and I've, I've I wrote sort of a half serious, half joking um, blog entry on our website about this. You know, raising the basket a little bit. That it's like. The basket was the, the the court dimensions were the right size when the average basketball player was you know six foot or something like that six one, but now that you got all these like seven footers, all these just huge physical specimens, it's almost like they're playing on too small of a of a surface. Again, things that would no, I, I, get, I mean that makes total sense to me. I uh, I think that you're you're not wrong, buddy. And we talked about that. You know, it's a good observation. Um. We got a lot more to get into, I guess. So let's keep moving right along. I wanted to. Uh, have you been following the Magic Johnson story at all? Okay. Well, I guess there's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of angles we could take on this. Uh, I was talking to Larry uh, Collette earlier this week, who's a diehard Laker fan, and I wouldn't say devastated, but just really annoyed at the at the the Lakers situation. Um, I, I don't understand how that organization has 
become kind of a shit show in the last, I don't know, what'd you say, six, seven years? I mean, it was it was becoming a shit show when Kobe was still there. And uh we're I mean this, this Well, I think a lot of people would pin would hang it on Kobe, right? I'm 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 a fan I'm a fan of and I guess I should be careful with my words here. I'm a fan of on the court Kobe. I think he's one of the greatest basketball players of on to, of, of all time. Um, obviously off the court, there's there's a different conversation to be had whether or not you separate art from artist. I guess. Um, but uh, no, that dude. I mean, he, he he drove he drove Shaq out of there. The guy the guy was um, he couldn't he couldn't play with. He he has a very similar mo to LeBron, which is. If you put dudes around him, they take the ball out of his hand, and therefore they're a threat to him. And if the guys aren't there, then it's 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 the organization's fault for not you know creating a a, a winning a winning uh, team, right? A, a, a good a good enough supporting cast. And and I mean we've gone we've gone back and forth with this Le, with LeBron. You know it was you know, surrounded by talent in Miami and wasn't happy there. Didn't have any talent in in Cleveland. Wasn't happy there. Now we're back. He he then rebuilt a super team in Cleveland. Now the same thing's happening um, in in LA now. So I think. I think um, uh, that the, the the Lakers sort of history is some of the greatest basketball players ever, obviously, but but also really good basketball teams. And that the the sort of end of that was the Lakers became the Kobe Show, and that's not the way you build a franchise or an organization. I'm amazed. I guess I wanted to talk about this because I wouldn't say amazed. I'm not. It's I'm I'm annoyed. Right. It, it, I'm. By the fact that so many of these athletes, uh, superstars, think that they can do it at every level, right? They think that somehow they have the acumen to be successful at whatever they do. And I mean, Magic has been successful as a business person for sure. I mean, he's definitely done that. But this experiment that he's attempted to do in Los Angeles is a total shit show. I mean, I would argue that he set the Lakers back at least another three to four years by bringing LeBron in there and trying to put pieces around LeBron as supporting players who have very, very little talent. I think Luke Walton is a good coach, but how in the hell are you supposed to coach garbage? You know, how are you supposed to coach LeBron? He's not coachable in a lot of ways. You know, he needs people that listen to what he says. And so it's like Jordan, is Jordan still with the Bobcats? It doesn't need them. Yeah, but he's no longer. I don't think he has a lot of say in terms of the day to day. He's a big picture operations. Man. Yeah, I maybe he's figured it out, but it's just frustrating to see so many of these guys think they can do it. I mean, what's what's going to be interesting is whether or not LeBron thinks he can too. I it wouldn't shock me whatsoever if he thinks that he can come in and and uh, you know take over the Cavs, turn them around, and make them. A winner. Hey, I, there's no way that he doesn't just create a debacle there again. But anyhow, that's what I was thinking in regards to that. Yeah, I, 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 I wonder how much of this is Magic's not good at front office stuff, or if this is the Lakers and the the Bus family and all of that nonsense has been. It, it was a, it was a storied franchise that became this you know rich dudes kids took over and and in fighting and I, I I don't I don't follow it closely enough to know all the details but who is it Jeannie Bus or Julie Bus or whatever the lady's name is like a couple of years ago before she brought Magic in she fired her brother who was who was then the 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 director of player development or whatever I mean like there's so much weird behind the stuffs behind the scenes stuff going on there that I, I wonder if this was Magic being like I just don't want to work here you know what I mean. And, and, and that's saying something, right? Because he's, um, 
I, I don't know who you think of when you think about the Lakers, but I think for a lot of people, it is it is Magic Johnson, and people and people want want to see him there, and he knows that, and he wants to be there, and he's like, in spite of all of that, I can't work, I can't work here because of this, because of this craziness, and because of this nonsense, and and you're also talking about a dude walking away from a team that has LeBron James on it. You know, you have an opportunity to to be making, um, you know, again, those 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 10,000 foot view sort of moves on a team that has LeBron James. There must be some serious stuff going on um, behind the scenes that makes you want to that makes you want to walk away from that. So I, I, I can't defend any of the moves that, that Magic made or didn't make. I suspect had they been successful in getting Anthony Davis, they might have. Well, two or three months ago, they might have snuck in the playoffs as an eight seed, and 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 you know, at, at, we would be looking at this season a lot differently. So, I, I, I don't know, man. I think it's, I think it's tough. Uh, the, the fact that he quits without telling Genie Bus, like he uses the press conference to quit, tells me that this is not about. Everything he said was, I don't like this. I don't want to learn about CBAs, and I don't want to learn about salary caps, and. This is, it puts me in a box and I'm not allowed to be magic the way I want to be magic. I think all of that was code for fuck this place. (laughs) This is, you know, like organizationally, I just can't, I can't, I can't, I can't be here because there's too much nonsense going on. I refuse to believe that, that magic can't figure out the CBA and salary caps. That, that, that seems like the most obvious, here's a, here's an excuse I'm going to throw out to, to bow out gracefully and I'm going to go focus on the Dodgers. Do you think that athletes, that certain athletes get addicted to winning? Like it's an addiction that like, it's like a fix they have to have. And sometimes they just can't get it. Well, sure. Right. Isn't that, isn't that the argument for all the athletes that have like massive gambling problems? I mean, <laughs> uh, Barkley Jordan, my understanding is, was it, was a big gambler and, and kind of had to get back into it. This is a weird, this is a weird example, but you know, my background is in competitive academic debate and uh, you can always tell kind of the coaches who are, who are in it to sort of teach, right. You're there to, to teach young people how to debate and you want to like show them something cool and, ha- and help them learn stuff and, and kind of, you know, develop intellectually and academically. And then you can see the, the people who are into it just to, you know, live vicariously through their debaters and, and put more, put more trophies on their, on their shelf. And, and I don't mean to, I don't mean to knock the debate version of that or the, the athlete who has, has competitive drive because I'm also a, a pretty competitive dude and take stuff way too seriously. And so I get that, but um, I think it can be misplaced. It's the nicest way to put it. It often does. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what you would, I think that it works in certain places and it's valued in certain places business uh, oftentimes but yeah i mean it can be a, a big problem i hadn't even thought about debate yeah for sure there's there's a lot of those folks in that realm who take shit really really seriously it's pretty wild maybe a better example than debate is you know like the the hyper and we've talked about this on the pod in the past too you know the hyper hyper sports parent you know like flipping out on their their kids i see i see this i see this quite a bit and every once in a while i have to check myself to make sure i'm not doing it um, but, you know, and my daughter swims on a, a, a competitive swim team. And some of those parents, you're like, oh, my God, <laughs> chill the fuck out a little bit. And then and then every once in a while, like, you know, my daughter will do something and I pull her aside and I'm like, you at least pay attention or we're not we're not going to come here. You know, you're going to waste my time. You're going to make silly mistakes like that. And you feel like a tinge of, OK, I see what what's what those other parents are doing, but I don't want to take it that far. But I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a real, like, it's a, there's a real thin line between, um, 
you know, kind of trying to instill competitive drive in your kids and being an asshole. And, and I, I suspect the same thing exists if you're, if you're a coach or you're a front office person, like, can, can you, can you sort of separate your, your personal identity from the success of a thing that's not really you? You know what I mean? Like, this is not a referendum on you, Magic. I think you're great. <laughs> no, I know. I know what you're saying. It is. It is. No one, no one thinks that Jordan sucks because the Bobcats were bad. God, lives are. I'm just. You made me think how parents can destroy the lives of their kids by trying to live vicariously through them with sports. It's funny. We got a lot of coaches who actually listen to this podcast. So, all you coaches out there, let us know what you think because, uh, you're the ones who have to deal with the asshole parents that Brian and I are just talking about. <laughs> hey, we got a, I got a couple more minutes here. I got to run um, and do some actual work today. But did you uh, get a chance to read the article about Nick Bosa? Yeah. Okay. Um, thoughts? Yeah. So um, I, I, I didn't. I, it's it's weird. I don't even I don't even know who this dude is. College football season seems so so far in the in the past or the future right now. That uh, particularly since it's an Ohio State dude, um, yeah. But apparently, from what I read, Nick Bosa is a super uh, politically active dude who's likely to be taken in the in the top handful of picks in the draft. Um, and there's a there's a question about you know do do football organizations not want players who are politically active at all, or is it a question of how they're politically active or the direction of their political activity yeah i think it's really interesting it, rem- it, rem- it reminds me of tebow man it reminds me of tebow that that you know when when tebow prayed in the end zone after he scored a touchdown or whatever and there were people who were like you know not the right not the right time not the right place there was a, a huge vocal group of people who said hey that's you know that's not that's not fair you should let that person do that i, I don't understand why that's not as political as taking a knee during the national anthem Right. And I think that's kind of the question here. Like, why is why, why can an NFL team take a flyer or not, not a flyer? Why, how can an NFL team draft a, a, a Nick Bosa at number two or number three overall when he said, I mean, the article you put, hopefully you post this online because his, his Twitter account is, whew, I mean, he, he hasn't said anything that's like outright racist, but it's borderline. He is. He's uh, he's definitely, he's, he's approaching that line, I guess. I mean, I, I see how this article could turn a lot of people off because Michael Harriet, the uh, the writer, obviously makes it about race. And it is about, I mean, obviously race is a major, major component of this. And I don't think I want to shift anything away from race and the fact that Nick Bose is white and people like Colin Kaepernick and Eric Reed, who have been outwardly political, are black. And that does stand for something and that does, you know, matter. But I think so much of this, at least for for me at that at that 30,000 foot level is what kind of politics are accepted. You know, it's, 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 when it comes to sports, people, oh, it's interesting. I got an argument with a affiliate faculty member this week via email because she sent me some article about politics and sports. And she was like, oh, I just hate the fact that politics are in sports. And I responded back and I was like, well, it's probably just the, it's the kind of politics you don't like. So like, that was my response. I don't want to hear it. You know, like, don't, don't come at me, you know, listen to our podcast if you really want to try to get a deeper understanding of, of this. Right. But it is, it's so much of it. It's, it's, it's not that politics are not in sports. They always have been and always will be. It's that we get upset when they're not our kind of politics. And and to be totally transparent, I was annoyed by Tim Tebow. I get annoyed by Nick Bosa, by this shit. I get annoyed by, you know, ba- John Rock. Well, he, he did say racist things, but like Kurt Schilling 
not to say that he hasn't said some borderline racist stuff, but I get annoyed by that in the same way that people get annoyed by Colin Kaepernick and Eric Reed doing these things because it doesn't jive with my kind of politics. And so let's realize that our annoyance isn't necessarily because it's, it's politics and sports it's because it's, it's the kind of politics that we don't side with. Does that, is that clear to you too? Yeah, no, I think, I think that's fair. Um, I don't know. I suppose the difference though is, what you pointed out is that it's it's it, that there's probably some internal hypocrisy for people, right? If it's if it's a person like you who who didn't like to see Tebow doing his stuff on the field, but you defend Colin Kaepernick, there's some sort of internal tension that you need to to reconcile about about what you're upset about and why you're upset. the The difference here, though, is not really about the hypocrisy of fans and their stance on this issue. For me, it's more about why is ownership afraid of, uh, of a, of a Colin Kaepernick who, who what went to the NFC championship game two or three times. I mean, there's no debating whether or not the dude can play. He obviously can play, but teams are saying, Oh, you know, he constitutes such, such a distraction. And, and, and I, su- I suppose maybe if you asked a front office guy, if you asked a GM, maybe they would say, yeah, truthfully, no one knows about this Nick Bosa shit. And if it becomes a bigger deal, maybe um, it, it would be harder to draft him, or maybe it would be harder to, to have him under contract on your team or something like that. Um, or maybe they would say it's because he's, you know, slated to go number two or number three in the draft. Colin Kaepernick sure is a serviceable quarterback, but he's not, he was not a number two draft pick. So maybe it's uh, how much, how much uh, PR nightmare are you willing to take on relative how good that player is? Right. Which was always the weird thing about Tebow. It was like, why do you want that guy on your team? You can, you could, you could get a bunch of people who are PR nightmares, um, but at least get ones that are good, that are sort of good at football. And I'll say one more thing about this, which is the article you sent me sort of points out that Nick Bosa is backing off of this stuff that I wonder if he's got people in his ear that are saying, hey, look, you're going to you're going to become the sort of anti uh, Colin Kaepernick, right? You're going to become a pariah in the exact same ways um, because you're going to be the counterexample of, hey, how come how come you don't take a a Colin Kaepernick, but you're willing to take this guy? And so I suspect he's got folks in his ear who are saying you better tone this shit down. I'd be willing to bet. And I don't know this at all. I'm just, this is, this is sheer conjecture on my part that he has probably gone through and cleaned up his Twitter, that he's probably deleted some tweets that he's probably, you know, said things that we don't know about that, that have gone away or will go away. And that, um, uh, for good or for bad, right. Do we, do we want politics and sports or do we not want politics and sports? I guess if you're on the, on the, the, the side of all athletes should ever do is, is, um, play sports, then, then fine, I guess. I don't know. It's it's amazing what we as I think you've pointed to the to ownership what ownership's willing to kind of look past in order to win I think fans we're the same you know there's 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 really no difference in 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 us I mean, and again we've uh, this is a bell that we've rung several several times but I mean look at uh, you know some of the domestic violence stuff that's going that has gone on and um, all that stuff and fans just are willing to forget it you know the washington football team their fans are willing to ignore the fact that didn't they sign somebody who was a domestic abuser or um oh yeah didn't they, didn't yeah, they yeah. From kansas city yeah. yeah well no no kareem hunt just went to uh the browns and you know fans are excited about that uh-huh. yeah he's gonna be suspended and everything but i mean it's just it's just the shit that we're willing to forego and forget when we are so emotionally invested in uh whether that winning or as a business owner a, a team owner uh making money 
it's a, the irrationality of of the those those connections should not be overlooked but um any closing comments my friend um no not really <laughs> mass yeah enjoy the masters i, I mean su- sunday is going to be such a crazy sports day um who, who's who's the bleacher report guy uh bill simmons is that right bill simmons uh bill simmons does the ringer Oh, that's what I meant. The ringer, not Bleacher Report. Um, Bill Simmons tweeted out yesterday that Sunday's got theoretically round four of the Masters, though I suspect we might be finishing that on Monday um, if it rains a bunch. But Sunday is round four of the Masters, four NBA playoff games, four NHL playoff games. I think the final of the Frozen Four is on Sunday, that that could be on Monday. Like, in his words, a good day to sit around and do nothing. But man, it's it's a good... It's a good sports weekend, and we're getting into like that really great time of the year where you can. Oh, there's, I mean, obviously, there's going to be a bunch of baseball games on too, and we're about to have the NBA playoffs start. I mean, this is it's a good a good time of the year for for uh, sports fans. Perfect day for us to be terrible fathers. That's true too. Hey, can I float one more thing? Do you have Do you have another two minutes to talk about something? I love a good floater. Did you see? <laughs> Badoom! Did you see this story? There was like an Auburn um, uh, gymnast who was like doing a floor routine. And and did some sort of I, I don't know anything about gymnastics, so I'll probably describe it wrong. But they did some sort did some sort of a flip where she had a blind line, a blind landing, which I guess means it was a front flip where you can't really see where you're landing. And she hits the ground. I didn't watch the video, and and basically she she dislocated or broke both of her kneecaps on landing, like ended her career, um, probably fucked up her legs real bad. But there's been this like this, the video got circulated a ton online, and she came out and was like please stop sharing this video. It, it was really painful. It's not entertainment, right? This is, this should not be a spectacle for you to gawk at. And I'm, I'm kind of curious what you think about this. I mean, cause we, I, I don't know if we, we, I'm sure we talked about this on the pod before, but obviously going back to Joe Theismann and, and showing, um, you know, ridiculously disgusting and painful injuries on the field. Like we kind of, I thought we kind of learned a lesson from that, that the, the ethic of the the sports broadcasting world was don't show that right kind of turn away from it but i don't know does that, does that change in a, in a social media world where you, you see these things and it's just like what do you think about this i, I we didn't talk about the sports so i'm just i'm just throwing this at you i think that she's not wrong i think obviously what she should expect and what joe theisman should expect are different joe theisman gets paid he's or got paid he was a professional she's a gymnast and uh it, but, so I think there's that, right? There's all kinds of levels of this. I think she has the right to be upset. I think that um, I would be upset too. I don't know whether or not the people who post it are wrong. I think it's just it's just one of those things. It's it, it's the access to the video. It's the it's the instantaneous uh, uh, posting. It's the the lack of the pause that sets this up. You know, it's I guess let me th- I think of it this way, right? That person who's going to post that video immediately to YouTube or whatever or Instagram doesn't have the same pause that is built into the TV uh, board op that's in the truck outside of, uh, I don't know, what was it, a veteran stadium when Joe Theismann broke his leg. So to, the responsibility of that person might be a little bit higher than the than the idiot who just posted the video of her snapping both kneecaps. I don't know, man. It's complicated. And we don't have, we're obviously not smart enough to deal with this shit. And it's moving way, way faster too. There was a good, uh, I'm trying to think, um, what was I watching? Did you see, uh, John Oliver did a thing about public uh, ridicule? 
uh, a couple of weeks ago. That's worth watching on YouTube. His, his, you know, his main segment was about public ridicule and how, you know, some people, when you're in the public spotlight, when you sign up for that, like you, that's, that's what you get. You know, if you buy in, if, if you take the responsibility of being a public figure, whether you're a celebrity or a politician or a professional athlete, you have to know that that comes with the territory. But I think it's the it's the private person, it's the individual who gets thrown into these situations for mistakes or stuff like this, that it becomes a lot more problematic because there isn't a rule book for that in the same way that we have, let's say, civility as a rule book for for public, uh, you know, conversation. But anyhow. Yeah. Uh, okay. I got to go because I got to go do uh, some video for. Okay. All right, buddy. Uh, good show. Good podcast. And um, let's go Tiger, I guess. Tiger, Tiger and Phil. Let's see. Let's see. We'll bring it back. What, what... Uh, all right. Have a good day, buddy. Later.